0: Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 136. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics.
1: From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour, with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the
2: Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself.
0: Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern-age comics and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics Inc. period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Dennis the Menace, originally a comic trick panel introduced in 1951, expanded into a comic book series, an American television series starring Jay North, an animated television series, and subsequent television series, books, and feature films. There's even a chapter on the British version of Dennis the Menace and Dennis' long-time association with Derek Green and his playground. Pockets Full of Dennis the Menace by Mark Arnold and fun Did Productions explores the entire history of Dennis the Menace and is available now on Amazon and Sarah Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your
2: copies today.
0: Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough?
2: Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, a timeline of the Monkey solo
0: years, covers the solo half. Who knew the Monkeys record so many solo albums?
2: Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book
0: to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this.
2: Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the
0: solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's
2: me. Get Headquartered, a timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool.
0: I'm going to get one today. I've turned in the final edits for the TTV scrapbook, and it should be released sometime this fall from Bear Manor. I'm also currently working on my Mad and Turtles books, an article about dino writers and Popeye for Back Issue magazine, and more funny stuff for Andrew Goldfarb's Freaky magazine. No news yet on my other books. On today's show we have a guitarist who has performed with many major acts from the 1960s, including John Entwistle, Alan Parsons, and the artist from the Happy Together tour. Here he is, Godfrey Townsend. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and we are here with another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And today, thanks to the uh, wonderful Charles F. Roseney, he has put me in touch with Godfrey Townsend, who is here today to talk about his work with the Turtles and other groups and uh, his many years uh, as a guitarist. So how are you, sir?
2: I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing fine. Um, Where where do you... uh, Hail from? Is it New York?
2: Yeah, I was born in New York, in Manhattan, and I live in uh, Brooklyn, Queens area of New York now. And right now, it's in a place called Glendale in Queens.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm in Oregon, so if you're wondering where I'm. Oh wow!
2: Okay. Yeah. Where are <laughs> where uh, at? <clears throat>
0: Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, Springfield, Eugene area. So if you, oh, if up you're up? a good dart player and you throw it right in the center of the state, that's where I'm at. So. <laughs> nice
2: we had some good friends up in Eugene and they all organized us to do a concert with Alan Parsons up there years ago yeah. with the with the orchestra with an orchestra. Oh cool. Yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, um I usually start off with this question then we'll just kind of go about uh, various aspects of your career. I do you want to talk about the turtles because that's kind of the emphasis but um, Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you became a guitarist and how you affiliated yourself with, say, Alan Parsons and a few others, you know, John Entwistle and people like that. Well, obviously
2: it was a long road from becoming a guitarist, which was like at nine years old, and um, I started playing piano first just because it was an instrument that was laying around in my uncle's home or whatever and i was able and some of my parents friends have pianos in their homes and i would just go and bang around on it and be able to by ear pick out melodies of songs or whatever by ear and eventually my uncle noticed that and told my mom hey he's got a pretty good ear you should when you get back home to the states or whatever i was visiting over in europe um, you should get a piano and give him lessons. Get like get him lessons because he's got a pretty good ear for it. So, you know, I mean, piano is basically the the easiest instrument you can learn because you don't have to know a technique of how to hold a bow or how to fret something or hold something on your neck or blow into a thing and reeds and your lips have to be strong and for to blow of trumpets and piano you just kind of hit it and it's instant sound you know True, yeah. <laughs> um, it is actually considered a percussion instrument because you have to hit it mm-hmm. so i started playing piano but then of course you know the beatles were on ed sullivan and that changed everything right <laughs> you nobody know, wanted to play guitar and be in a band and whatever so so i started picking up the guitar and i taught myself really i went for lessons for about a month mm-hmm. but then i taught myself basically with, you know, these fake books that we used to get. They were just these boot these bootleg books with all the pop songs, the hit songs of the day were photostatted or whatever, and then all put into a one book and sold to wedding bands for five bucks or something like that, you know, which is why they called it a fake book because wedding musicians could fake their way through any song with that book in front of them, you know? <laughs>
0: Now, when you did that, I mean, is that just with uh, general chords, or I mean, did you yes. also were yeah. you also able to learn technique
2: from that? But that's the thing. See, um, uh, in a lot of the sheet music for the songs, there was the little chord charts where it shows you where to put your finger to play an E chord or an A seven or whatever, right. and that's how I learned to play chords and and strum along with the songs. Mm-hmm. But I also had that ear for picking up. Oh, there's a little, he does a little riff there, you know, mm. and then I would figure out that riff on my own. Mm. So I kind of became the lead guitar player in the band quickly oh, because the other guy who was a better rhythm guitarist who had been taking lessons for probably a year longer than I did uh, couldn't do that. So, you know, and we were starting to learn some pretty ha- happening stuff, you know what I mean? Because now, by, by now, it was like... 10 or 11 years old, it was the monkeys were out and, and, you know, you were starting to listen to some other stuff that was a little harder, you know?
3: Right.
2: So, yeah. So I picked up playing lead myself and really later on in high school, I was listening to like live cream, Mm -hmm. you know, live cream albums where they take a two or three minute song. Like I'm so glad. And they stretch it out to 12 (laughs) minutes of improvisation and jamming Mm that Clapton is playing every riff he knows, you know, and you can just learn them all, you know, and in the old days it was harder because you were there with a record needle, you know, uh, taking it on and off the record and putting it back in the same place to hear it again and hear it again and hear it again. (laughs) Trained ear, you know, so my ear has been trained to hear every little nuance of things from doing that, you know. Very cool. So, I mean, eventually I I became the lead guitarist of whatever band that I was forming in grammar school or, or early high school days or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, and I knew how to play piano as well, see, mm-hmm. so, and, and I started singing, of course, so it gives you a little bit more of a, uh, you're more of an asset to a band, I guess, if you can play more than one instrument and sing as well, mm-hmm. you know, so, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So how did this lead to, I mean, did you have, you had your own bands at first, I assume, and then yeah, graduated you know, into playing with others? Is that how that Yeah, started?
2: well, what, what happened was we would, we would form cover bands, you know, uh, where we would just play copy material and play high school dances and things like that, or audit, or, or play the auditorium in, in, the gram, in the local grammar school or high school and stuff like that, or parties, block parties, and things like that. And eventually, we decided to start writing our own original stuff, you know, uh, and that was the end of high school 74, 75, 1974 75 I was like 18 years old or something like that, you know, and we started playing at a place um, in my area called the Coventry and it was a club it was a, like a professional rock club where bands like kiss got their start you know New York Dolls used to play there bands like that in the early days you know Billy Squire with his first band Piper used to play there Elephant's Memory used to play there bands like that you know Johnny Thunders you know so we we started playing the Coventry and Gene Simmons from Kiss saw us there and was interested in our our band and I had a talk with him after the gig and we sent a demo in and, uh, you know, of course, we, we got passed on or whatever. Uh, you know, the demo didn't sound as good as we did live. You know what I mean? The recording was not as good as we sounded live. So many years of that. And then you kind of just start playing in cover bands. And so you get gigs and you get paid and you're making an extra living besides whatever day job you have doing that. And then I started going into uh, Manhattan uh, after work and sitting in at places like the China Club, um, which is, you know, a famous celebrity hangout. Mm -hmm. So they would have a Wednesday night, um, what they call the pro jam, uh, Mm -hmm. where they had a good uh, bunch of musicians on stage who kind of knew a lot of songs and could play Anything but anybody, for the most part. And whoever was in the audience that was a celebrity, they would get them up and they would sit in and someone would be taking pictures and it would be you know, a good old time for everybody. So so I started going down to that.
0: And Is that kind of like an open mic night, kind of, or no?
2: Yeah, 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 like an open jam. Like, okay. of course, yeah, you want to come up and sing a song, you want to come up and play guitar on something, whatever. So... I started, uh, I knew some of the people who kind of hung out there in a way I was getting to know them. Um, and of course, as my face got recognized and my name got remembered, and, oh yeah, this guy knows a lot of tunes, get him up, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it would be like, oh, well, Mick Jones from Foreigner is here tonight. And hey do you know any foreigner yeah sure I do come on up and play with Mick Jones you know like that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. went on a lot and eventually John Entwistle from The Who came down Mm -hmm. after The Who uh, it was actually Roger Daltrey was doing a show at Carnegie Hall Mm -hmm. with Michael Kamen and an orchestra and it was a celebration of it was Pete Townsend's 50th birthday or something and they were doing this Daltrey sings Townsend Mm-hmm. special show and Entwistle was there with Eddie Vetter from Pearl Jam and Linda Perry and uh, Sinead O'Connor was there and you know all kinds of guests and he came over to the China Club after that hmm. uh, and I was already in the house band there doing the pro jam I was running the pro jam right and it was my job to get them up and I knew all that who stuff and we played for Two three hours straight with those guys, you know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and about a year later, I was already had gotten another gig, a professional gig out in Laughlin in Nevada at the uh, the uh, Flamingo Hilton <laughs> Casino out there. It was like a it was a show called the Jukebox Giants, <laughs> and I was in a backing band with some of the other guys from Beatlemania, oh, yeah. and we were backing up. Uh, Joey Mullins from Badfinger and Mitch Ryder and Spencer Davis and Tiny Tim and all these different people Uh, and we were the band that backed them all up while I was out there I got a call that John Entwistle wants to put a solo band together Mm -hmm. and he wants me to come and play guitar for him and we were going to have this other guy singing uh, but he wanted too much money Mm -hmm. so then the next phone call to me was Hey, can you sing this stuff too? And I <laughs> and I said, Oh yeah, I've been singing that stuff since I was thirteen years old. You know, <laughs> and I was the lead singer and lead guitarist for the John Entwistle band wow. from nineteen ninety five until he passed away in two thousand two.
0: Hmm. Did you tour everywhere with him, or just the New York? We area? only did
2: the states and Canada. Okay. The United States and Canada. Hmm. Um, I guess it was too cost effective. It was. It was. It was too expensive to go overseas with it or whatever. You know what I mean? We never even played in England. And it's it's kind of the way things are that English artists, they're they're not well received in England. But if they come here to the States or if they go to Europe or they go to Japan, forget about it, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah. So we really only ever played, we did maybe a half dozen tours mm-hmm. in the United States and Canada. And one of the tours he was asked to go on was a thing called a walk down Abbey Road Mm. and it was like a specialty package tour that they were putting together with John Entwistle, Ann Wilson from Heart, Mm -hmm. Todd Rundgren and Alan Parsons Mm -hmm. and it was going to be a tribute to the Beatles Mm
3: -hmm.
2: so each artist would do a few of their own hit songs and then a few Beatles covers or renditions Mm -hmm. and I went on that tour with John Mm. basically to sing his who stuff with him but I became the musical director for it because Mm. every every few minutes at rehearsals someone like Todd would be coming over going hey what's that chord and Lady Madonna or you know whatever and I knew them all so they made me the musical director and that same tour company is the same production company that did hippie fest where the turtles Mm -hmm. started and then the happy together tour which i've been on for the last 10 years as the musical director so it's it's a stepping stone that leads to a click of like a circuit of things like a network of gigs right
0: i think i did see it i think i did see it um Yeah, the Abbey Road one, because I saw Antwistle, well, I saw the Who first, and then I saw Antwistle when he was part of Ringo's All-Star Band. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. That yeah, but right I,
0: you, you didn't participate I in that, right? No,
2: that was I, right before okay. he asked me to play in his solo band.
0: Okay, yeah. and then the next time, I, I had forgotten that it was called A Walk Down Abbey Road. I just remember it had Todd Rundgren, and it had John Antwistle, and a few others. I, I didn't remember, but, you know, the list sounds familiar. I think it was Wilson, right. so I'm sure it was. So right. we're talking, I was in California then, so we're talking uh, Saratoga, California.
2: So 2001.
0: Yeah, okay. yep, yep. And I just have a funny story that has nothing to do with Info, so, but it has to do with Todd Rundgren. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on Ringo's band, he always says, I always want everyone to play their hits. And Rundgren apparently didn't want to play Hello, It's Me and stuff like that. And Ringo was like, okay, fine. And so he had, he did other things like Black Mariah, which is pretty obscure. Really? And he did Bang on the Drum all day, which wasn't a big hit, but at least it fits in with the theme of Ringo drumming I, and right, stuff. Right. But anyway, right. when I saw the the Walk Down Abbey Road, Rundgren did Hello It's Me, and I said, ha! Now, <laughs> now he does it. That's funny. I don't know, you know do it. You know. He
2: actually used to do Open My Eyes. Yeah. He did Open My Eyes, which was a Naz song, right? The earlier band he had right before he went solo so we used to do open my eyes hello it's me and bang the drum all day
0: yeah and so for it was i think didn't he do boris the spider and maybe my yeah. wife
2: i don't uh, remember probably yeah we did a few we did the real me because that song is basically a bass solo and he yeah. wanted
3: to
2: show <laughs> off a bit so every night i would do the real me with him and and probably i don't know if we did my wife or boris I'm, you know, I don't really remember. I'd have to find a. Song First, he could
0: have done Boris with Ringo. You know, I'm, I'm getting it confused. Yeah, because, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Um, yeah. It's not that important, but I mean, you did have a long working relationship with him. Did you play like virtually everything on his solo performances, or did you kind of stick with his his own stuff? Like,
2: no. You know what? Here's the thing. Okay, Entwistle um, was probably like the George Harrison of the Who. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was always competing with Roger and Pete, right? For the limelight, you know. Mm-hmm. So when he finally got to do his own band, right. he would, you know, he used to say, in so many words, "I don't need to, you know, blow Pete Townsend's horn anymore for him. <laughs> he already blows it enough for himself or whatever." Right. Right. So he would try to stick to mostly doing in the set we would either do stuff that john wrote for the who right like boris the spider my wife um had enough from the who are you album mm-hmm. things like that whatever stuff stuff that he wrote and then stuff from his own solo career mm-hmm. and as an added feature the cover stuff that the who did like summertime blues young man blues oh, yeah. Shaking all over, stuff like that, you know. Um, of course, Summertime Blues was Eddie Cochran, Young Man Blues was Mose Allison, and Shaking All Over was Johnny Kidd and the Pirates or whatever. Right. So, any cover stuff that the Who ever did live, like all that stuff, is probably on Live at Leeds or whatever. But
3: right.
2: that's the stuff we would do, you know. Cool. So cool. try to stay away from P Townsend as much as possible, except yeah. for The Real Me, which is a bass solo pretty much. Yeah.
0: You know? like yeah. like i know when he, i just found this out because i was reading a little bit about intro so doing research on apparently he hated doing magic Bus because it was just like one note over
2: like the bow like the Bo, like Bo Didley groove and it was just like over, and over.
0: Uh, you know even though it's a famous song you know he's like yeah. oh. <laughs> but i get yeah. it you know, <laughs> you know for performing sake yeah, yeah you want to have something to do you know <laughs> yeah it's very cool Um, so did you do that before Alan Parsons or did Alan Parsons come after or had that? Yeah.
2: So that's what I mean about the stepping stone situation. It's like, so i got brought onto this tour with John Entwistle. That's where I met Alan Parsons. Mm -hmm. And then I got a gig with Alan Parsons. So this is how it worked out. The next summer they wanted to do the tour again, the walk down Abbey Road tour, Mm -hmm. change it up a little bit. John was already scheduled to go out with the who Mm -hmm. he was already scheduled for that summer to go out there. So he wasn't going to be able to do the tour. So we got Jack Bruce to do it. Todd Rundgren stayed. Alan Parsons stayed. We brought Mark Farner and Christopher Cross. out To replace Ann Wilson and um, whoever else. And, um, So the second year I was musical director and I went out there and I brought my drummer from my band out on the tour. And at the end of that tour, both Jack Bruce and Alan Parsons asked me if I wanted to play with them or Jack actually had a couple of gigs booked for the fall. And said, could you do them with me? And I went, sure. And he liked the way my drummer played. So he said, yeah, we'll do a thing. So we, we started playing with Jack and then Parsons said, hey, can you put a band together for me of all American musicians or people that live here in the States? Mm-hmm. Because Alan lives in Santa Barbara, California. And he, you know, was kind of scaling things down a bit. And It was not cost effective for him to have to fly musicians in from Europe mm-hmm. to do one show or to do a weekend or something, you know? So, mm-hmm. so I said, oh yeah, and he he respected my musicianship and my drummer's musicianship. And he said, if you can put me a band together with guys with your caliber of playing abilities, that would be great. And so we did,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: we got a keyboard player and we got a bass player and all of us are lead singers. Mm -hmm. So we basically had a band. He, he brought a lead singer in. Um, So we had a band of six lead vocalists, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was a great live sound uh, mm-hmm. because in most situations vocal harmonies are basically three-part harmonies. Right. Mm-hmm. So what we would do is we would split them, and we would two people would take each harmony. So mm-hmm. it, it would be like a stereo, uh, like two like two times that three-part harmony you're hearing, which is what they do in studio recordings a lot. They double things, and it makes it sound much lusher, you know, right, uh, (laughs) chorusy or whatever. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah,
2: (laughs) uh, We have a live DVD called Live in Madrid. Actually, it's called Eye to Eye, Eye to Eye. Mm -hmm. uh, Live in Madrid, Alan Parsons Live Project. Mm -hmm. And if you watch that DVD, you can catch it on YouTube, some of it as well. If you watch that DVD and the sound is so perfect, that it looks like we're just lip syncing to a studio recording. Wow. <laughs> and that's because we were all on like in-ear monitors. It was, the stage volume was very controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Parsons himself took the 48 tracks of digital audio mm-hmm. and engineered it himself in his home. Mixed. Oh, wow. yeah. This is the guy <laughs> that, that engineered Dark Side of the Moon. Right, so, right. <laughs> so it sounds like a... It sounds like a record, or you know, or the right. or CD, or whatever.
0: Right. <laughs> and he worked with the Beatles too at the end of it. Yeah, exactly. He did. Yeah. He did a lot
2: of work with the Beatles. Yeah. Um, he um, and and I worked with Jack Bruce a lot. You know, right. um, did some recording with him. Uh, we we played a bunch of gigs. He he wound up coming on other tours after that. Walked down Abbey Road. We started doing a thing called the Hippie Fest in 2006 Mm -hmm. we did that from 2006 to 2010 and it was my band of musicians the guys from that i put together for the alan parsons live project Mm -hmm. that was the band for the hippie fest tour Mm -hmm. that was the band for the happy together tours Mm -hmm. um you know um so who is
0: who is in hippie fest which were so
2: hippie for- fest was more like 70s artists okay. okay so like uh one of the very first hippie fests we had chuck negron from three oh, dog night
3: yeah
2: we had uh you know mark farner was on it um there was other bands that there was a few bands that brought their whole band
3: oh, like,
2: okay. so like whatever version of the love and spoonful that was out at that time it's you know the drummer is singing lead and Uh, Iron Butterfly and Vanilla Fudge and um, maybe Blood, Sweat and Tears like all these different kind of 70s acts, you know, would be on Hippie Fest Um, Gary Wright Mm, Derringer uh, Dave Mason uh, guys like that, you know Mm -hmm. and some of them would bring their band for the first tour or whatever and they would hear us backing up someone else and then go damn these guys sound good but I'm not bringing my band next to <laughs> you know whatever right. and let them back me up or whatever you know the idea of it is to save money first of all obviously that's always the prime directive right, in right. Uh, touring for the producers but it's also change it, it also takes away that change over time and between acts right You don't got to be swapping out. Even if you have everything all set up already, you got to make sure this is working, that's working, and I'm plugging into that bass amp. Here's my drum kit on this riser (laughs) that's going to come out. None of that. We're just there. Yeah. And the two singers or whoever, they come Mm -hmm. running out. They sing their six songs. They run off. Within a minute, there's another guy coming out to do, you know. So you can do six acts in two hours. (laughs) Okay. I
0: was going to ask, how long do you play then if you're doing – Like, if you're supporting every act in a bill.
2: Yeah. uh, So, everybody gets, like, 20 minutes. Okay. So, on, like, say, for instance, right now on Happy Together, there are six acts. Mm -hmm. Used to be five. They figured, let's stick another one in there. And so, six acts times 20 minutes is two hours with a 20-minute intermission.
0: So, so that's not too bad, because I know... uh, some bands that just play, like the Stones, let's say they'll play straight through for two hours.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I, and I mean, I do gigs like that all the, all the time
0: where
2: yeah. my bands do- would go and like, what time are we supposed to stop? And I go, <laughs> uh, one, one, 1 a.m. Well, it's 2.30 in the morning now, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, okay, well, we can stop then, I guess, you know. Yeah. Once you get going, you got to get the hook to get to get a right. off.
0: It just seems like when you have so many acts, it's like you're going to be playing for six hours, but I get You get low. No, you see how
2: that works? You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, you know, there's literally no change over time. They're saying, thank you, everybody. Have, have a great rest of the show. And as they're going off the stage, the other guys are coming out and they're being in. We, we have a, uh, a pre-recorded in, introduction done by Shadow Stevens. Mm-hmm. So as those guys are walking off, he's already going our next artist is blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And that's already happening. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, so yeah. I mean, the main thrust of what we're going to talk about is just the Turtles, but, you know, yeah. were you with the Happy Together tour from the beginning or did you come along the way, somewhere along the way? Yeah, no,
2: I was there from the beginning because okay. uh, it, was a, it was a concept that came out of the Hippie Fest hmm. tour. So I was already in place with my band as the backup band for everybody that needs one. Right. But then happy together was like, well, now we're going to just have whoever wants to come on the tour. They just come themselves and you're the backup band for everybody, no matter what. Oh, okay. So the first one was like Mark Lindsay from Paul Revere and the Raiders, Mickey Dolenz from monkeys, of course, uh, Mark and Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, who else was on it? I, I, I forget. I think now. you had the, uh, the Grassroots, the Buck- Buckingham's Association. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we were basically the guys, you know. Okay. Uh, grassroots was Rob Grill, just the singer, uh, and and we just backed him up. Uh, maybe he brought his guitar player as well. Yeah, I
0: was going to ask that. I mean, it's like if, if they're normally – instrumentalists and you're doing all the backing do the people just sing the vocals then and that's about it pretty much
2: yeah yeah okay I mean, mark and howard come out and they just sing and we back them up yeah uh, and of course like i said four four lead singers backing right. them up so we're covering all the vocals you know the cowsills um there's three of them yeah and there are three unbelievable singers they sound like six people singing wow <laughs> if you listen to some of the live stuff you go you're looking to see who else is singing because it sounds like more than three people you know mm,
0: very yeah. cool yeah. so um it was just a situation after hippie test these are the guys is that how it kind of came yeah, about they,
2: yeah they kind of brought like mark and howard had a band who weren't the turtles but they were right. guys that they had been playing with for a long time as a matter of fact I auditioned for them back in like 1982 or something like that. Okay. Back, back then, I had met their, their drummer, was a guy named Joe Stefko. Right. Played with Meatloaf and uh, Mick Ronson and people like that. And another guy named Chris Apostle was their keyboard player. And he worked at the China Club where I did the pro jam. So yeah. Somehow or other, the word got around that, hey, you know, our guitar player is leaving mm-hmm. and we need another guitar player. Would you like to audition for the band? And I went, sure, that would be great. You know, <laughs> and I knew them more as Flo and Eddie or, right. you know, when they sang with Frank Zappa and the Mothers, because right. we used to listen to that stuff in high school every night, you know, down right. some basement, you know. um, So... Joe gave me a cassette with four songs to learn and mm-hmm. I took it home and learned it. I went down to a, to a rehearsal space in Manhattan. Mark and Howard weren't there. It was just mm-hmm. band guys and we played through it. I sang some vocals with them and, and they said, sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. You're in, you know, uh, you know, Mark and Howard will definitely approve. So you're in, um, couple of days later i got a phone call i was in bed uh and the message came in and i was just listening to it on my answering machine and it was joe going hey man i'm really sorry to have to tell you but you know our guitar player decided he doesn't want to leave the band so no. <laughs> so you got the audition but you didn't get it <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> And I could just remember laying there going, I'm not getting out of bed today. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I was really depressed, you know. Mm -hmm. So this is like,
0: you're talking about uh, the Turtles Flow and Eddie band, not the Happy Together
2: band. Right, yeah, this is before, way, way before that. Right. And they were doing like, you know, a week at the bottom line between Christmas and New Year. Right. that they used to do and so my consolation prize was a pair of tickets
3: to see, to
2: see them on see. <laughs> at the bottom line you know yeah. um, and uh i remember just being really depressed at that time about that but you gotta we don't recognize things when they happen to us you know what i mean we only right. realize years later why that was meant to happen like that because right. i mean Chances are, had I gotten the audition and been in that band, I wouldn't have done the other things that I've right. yeah.
3: done.
2: That took me, you know, really nice places, and then round full circle back to them again after i right. have done that right. stuff.
0: So, it, it is interesting, you know, uh, that they have their separate band, and very rarely did they cross over because they had their East Coast band, which you were trying out for, right, and the West right, Coast right. band. Right. And then there's the happy together band, you know, it was like right. three separate right. things going right. on. I don't right. know if they do the, the individual. I think nowadays they only do the happy. together They
2: haven't band. done, they haven't done. And see, so, so what happened then was that different guys came and went, you know, they had Joe Stefko on drums. They had Donnie Kisselbach on bass.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Benji King was the keyboard player and Benji King played in one of my cover bands years before, um, and even we had Greg Hawks on keys. Oh, yeah, from the uh, Cars, yeah. Cars. But so at one point, <laughs> you know, the original guy who was going to leave that I was going to take his gig, he finally left again. Uh, his name is Tristan. He's a great guitar player. He plays in like a Queen thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good. Uh, Mark Martell, I think, is the singer that does the uh, – Freddie Mercury stuff he sang the stuff for the movie the Bohemian Rhapsody movie and stuff and Tristan is an amazing player and he's got the Brian May thing down Um, so he left to do that another guy named Joel uh, Hextra came in and was playing guitar for them and then he was on Hippie Fest with them and then he left and they asked (laughs) me to join them so I was the guy on hippie fest and happy together and i was in the turtles when they played gigs on the side Hmm. so we we did a couple of years like that as well it was me greg hawks uh donnie kisselbach and joe stefko backing up howard and mark so i was an actual member of the turtles as well for a while or whatever you want to call it
0: right (laughs) yeah Um... Now, during all those years, um, I've, I've interviewed various players, usually in the West Coast Band, strangely enough. I think you're the first one that I've actually interviewed from the East Coast Band. But right. uh, what did you – how did you interact with Mark and Howard? Did you even – did you work with them offstage or just professionally on stage, or what did you do? Um,
2: you know, when it was time to uh, rehearse for the tours – Mm-hmm. like when we did the Happy Together tours and stuff like that, we would rehearse just maybe for a, a day mm-hmm. or two, you know, and we'd have to rehearse all of the acts in two or three days time. Mm-hmm. So we'd split a day of rehearsal uh, all right, we'll do the Buckinghams in the morning, Grassroots in the afternoon, and then tomorrow we'll do the Turtles in the morning and then Chuck Negron in the afternoon. And, and we would do it like that. And, and just in two or three days of rehearsing with these guys, we'd go out on a major tour of 50 shows. For the <laughs> and that was mostly what it was. I don't remember rehearsing a lot with the Turtles because mm-hmm. I had to learn their whole show. So they basically gave me a live, seed, a live CD of them playing the, the, the Bears Den or something up in uh, upstate New York or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn, just learn that. right? Learn this live version. That's the arrangements. That's the keys. Learn that. <laughs> so I really learned the Turtle songs through the eyes and ears of another guitar player who had taken it. <laughs> another place so you know my real thing is with my band when we do happy together that i tell my guys yeah we're going to get some live versions from these artists of their arrangements and maybe the keys are different and whatever but before you hear that or listen to that you go back and you listen to the records the originals yeah original records with the friggin' wrecking crew guys that played on those records Mm -hmm. and they were singles and they were hits because of what was on those records so you learn that first and then you can translate it into what they want us to do and and so many of these artists are so grateful for that Mm -hmm. because they don't ever know what they're getting into if they have to go do a fly date with some pickup band. And right.
3: They're
2: going to rehearse for a half an hour at sound check with these guys. and It doesn't matter what it sounds like. They got to go and do the show or whatever. And right. It's like, okay, <laughs> we'll get through this however and yeah. you know, wing it with us. Mark Lindsay said it in an interview on a tour bus one day. We heard him talking to a guy and he goes, this is such an amazing experience for me because it feels like I'm coming out on stage and singing with my master recordings playing. By. Oh wow. <laughs> that's cool. yeah. So that's a pretty good compliment. You know what I mean? Because like I said, we we learn those records. So every part is covered. Pretty much every part is covered. We got a keyboard player who can play piano and organ and strings and horns and sing a harmony. You know, yeah. so he's <laughs> he's got it all down yeah yeah
0: so for these various groups uh, you know obviously the turtles have been on the group the tour every year and and oh, yeah. a lot of them have like as the association and grassroots seemingly every year so yes. i mean do they play do you play the same set every year year after year or do much. you kind of match I mean, change unless, it up a little
2: bit yeah i mean unless something is um really not working yeah You know what I mean? And then maybe we want to try another thing. Usually we pretty much rounded it out to, you know, your three, four, five biggest hits. Right. Because that's what it's about. That's what the tour is about. It's about playing the hit songs Mm that people know you for and playing them like the record. Yeah not your Christmas version or your, your shuffle version of something or your, you know, reggae version. Right. Or right. You know, you know, no one wants to hear that. They mm-hmm. don't want to hear that. They want to come to the show and when they are walking out the door at the end, they're going, Ooh, he sounded just like his records, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's what you want. And that's been the success of it.
0: Yeah. Cause, um... I've heard on the the happy did I I've never I've seen uh, the turtles but it was never the happy together tour, yeah. uh, so they they had a little opportunity to to goof around more I think you know then you know more than the happy together it sounds like you just play the hits and there's not too much be- between song cut up stuff too much
2: but... is, you know they kind of stretch it out you know Mark yeah. is Mark is always the one who's telling the other acts, you know, keep it short, keep it, you know, you know, we're running late, you know, keep it under 20 minutes whatever, you know, keep yeah. the talking to a minimum. And, and once he gets out there, it's yeah. like, he's just walking around the stage going, I don't know where I am anymore. You know, whatever, doing it like his, his whole shtick. Right. And, you know, when Howard was doing it with us, Howard was kind of like the straight man Right. and Mark was the, crazy clown fool guy you know whatever Um, and Howard hasn't been out with us for a couple of years
0: right I've heard that we we, we, Charles and I interviewed Ron Dante yeah so and actually Ron said what you just said about uh, the songs I mean Ron already knew certain songs like happy together anyway and probably sang him in his solo shows for years anyway but uh, (laughs) yeah uh, Mark Bowman said yeah go back to the original record like you said you know sing it like that yeah do
2: it like that you know so you know that's as close as you're gonna get to sounding (laughs) like the real deal you know what i mean it's like two different voices howard's voice is very powerful yeah i never realized that until i worked with them for years and just went wow Mm -hmm. he is just slamming it um and um ron's got a great voice Mm -hmm. Uh, and and he's a, and, and he's a, he's a great musician. He's a producer. He produced Barry Manilow's right,
3: record.
2: Right. <laughs> um, so it's a no brainer for him to just go, just learn these songs. You know, yeah. it's hard. The hardest part about it is remembering all the words. Right. You know, <laughs> for him. So, you know, we, um, we're getting by because we have a good lead singer. Yeah. And, and then then I walk. always
0: I always ask this though. I mean, it's like you worked with Howard all those years and I know he's had his health problems. Is there ever a chance for him to come back or is he basically retired and done? You don't know. <laughs>
2: you know, I got to tell you just from doing the last couple of years of my life,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I just turned 65. Mm-hmm. Today is my birthday actually. I just turned Happy 65. Birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Um and you know probably didn't really start I started late in my career with success any you know whatever kind of success I had didn't really start happening until the 90s you know Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was playing original music in a club and Gene Simmons was coming to see me in 1975 (laughs) and I really didn't get anywhere until 1995 so 20 years later is when I started playing out Laughlin with Joey Molland and Mm -hmm. Mitch Ryder and Spencer Davis and Entwistle was calling me to be in his band. So my career really started in 1995, I would say, my professional career. So 25 years later, only 25 years later, I'm now now we get hit with a pandemic. Right. And you're not touring. Yeah, not touring. You're losing a whole year's worth of work. and you got and at first it was like and you have to stay home yeah you know and at first that was like really you mean just like stay here and watch movies
0: just take a break Um, yeah I
2: I can do that standing on my head you know (laughs) um three months later you're going okay what are we doing here Um, a year and a half later you're going, oh, I don't know if I can ever go out and tour again. Uh, it's so hard to do. Oh, <laughs> you know, you're just, you know, feeling like that. Or, or that's how I was feeling. Everyone's yeah. like, but you can't wait to get back to work and tour. And I went, actually, I like my house. <laughs> I like it a lot. I got 70 guitars to play with and all right. kinds of recording equipment and whatever. And I'm kind of enjoying this kind of semi-retirement situation here, but the bank account is going down though. That's the only problem. <laughs> so that's um, that's really, it made me realize how someone could, after doing it for 50 years,
3: yeah.
2: I only was doing it for 25 years, but it made me realize how someone could, after 50 years of doing it, go, well, I mean, I've got a pretty hefty bank account from, you know, whatever uh, my my uh, my uh, song royalties and whatever else, or performing yeah. royalties. Or uh, I've got a nice house. Uh, you know, I'm kind of tired. You know, <laughs> You know, because these guys are maybe ten years older than right, me. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and they've done it for 50 years. I'm in the Yardbirds as well. Yeah. Now so I play with the Yardbirds. And the only original member is Jim McCarty, the drummer. Oh, okay. Who was, who was there from 1963. And he's still there now in 2021. He's still there. He played with Clapton, Beck, Page, all those guys. Right. He was there the whole time. Him and Keith Ralph, the singer, formed... Uh, renaissance oh yeah after was, the Yardbirds, you know <laughs> and then he went back and did the art birds again with a with chris drea and whatever mm-hmm. um afterwards and now i'm in that band and so jim is 78 years old
3: yeah
2: um he lives in france in nice mm-hmm. somewhere in a nice little countryside town you know uh what's gonna make him wanna start flying on airplanes across the world and getting into tight vans and going and playing in clubs and whatever (laughs) uh and coming home with like some money or whatever but still i mean the love of playing is the only
0: yeah i would say you know and they mentioned the stones but i mean that's a good example because they started playing again there's no real monetary reason that they need to play anymore it has to be they love the the crowds or something
2: other than the fact that they love it because yeah. that's the thing i've i've done two gigs full full band gigs mm-hmm. since i've been home from the tour uh one of them was like a rain rained out one so there was like 20 people and then <laughs> the other night was in a big beer hall um and there was over a thousand people there
3: right
2: and that feeling is an addictive thing it's part of the addiction that we have to music is that you put out some energy mm-hmm. and if people approve, they pour it back at you like a thousand fold. You know what I mean? And right. then you get high off that and it just makes you play better. The next song right. gets you or whatever. So there's that attraction.
0: Right. Now is, like that. is performance something that appeals to you? I mean, Or is it just going through the motions? I'm playing Happy Together again, or something.
2: No, no. I mean, that's that's the difference. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, still, even doing Happy Together is fine because let's let's say, for instance, the Happy Together tour as opposed to the Yardbirds tour. Mm -hmm. Uh, Happy Together tour, I hardly play a note of lead guitar. (laughs) Yardbirds tour, that's all I do. Wow. (laughs) Every song is lead guitar playing. My Mm. fingers are killing me at the end of a Yardbirds gig. But (laughs) that's what I live and breathe for is for that. Uh But the Happy Together tour is just as um, uh, fulfilling for me because those are songs that I grew up with. And they're a part of you. Yeah. I mean, even, um, not even, but, you know, I really liked Gary Puckett's songs when I was a kid. Listened to AM radio. know they were playing all over the place when you were on a roller coaster they were coming through you know stuff when you're in amusement parks and everywhere you went and um so those songs are like embedded in your dna almost you know so to get to be up on stage and playing those songs behind the guy Mm -hmm. you know you're standing there playing uh lady willpower or woman Mm -hmm. woman or you know young girl and you're going that's the guy right there yeah (laughs) that's that's it right there you know so it's a feeling of of course it's a sense of accomplishment as well like wow you know I used to listen to this stuff on the radio and now I'm playing it with the guy you know Um, somehow or other I got myself there you know manifested my own destiny somehow
0: you know so it's still it's it's fun for you in that regard I mean it's not like oh I've been with Gary Puckett for 30 years you know (laughs) know, whatever.
2: and the thing is (laughs) If we do 50 shows in a summer, like when we go out on a full tour, it's June, July, and August, and we'll do 50 to 60 shows.
3: Uh
2: And every night it's the same songs. Yeah, And it's the same shtick between each song. You have to stand there and let the artist do his little... Now he's going to do his little punchline. Boom. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) tonight they really went for it. Oh, tonight they were really like a painting. They were like an oil painting out there, in the audience. And that's the way we kind of rate the show is how the audience's reaction is. Right.
3: Right. You know,
2: we're putting out, but the more they put out, the more we put out, it's only a natural reaction. You know what I mean? So. Even as a fan,
0: you know, like I've seen the monkeys a few times. You mentioned Mickey Dolan's, you know, he has, like, the same jokes, as it were, but they're still fun, even as a yeah. fan. You know, even yeah. if you know he's going to say, the colors, the colors, if he does Randy Scott's kid, or if he says – uh i used to sing this before shrek if he's gonna sing i'm a believer you know you know it's 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 like he said this over and over but you kind of expect him and want him to say that
2: it's almost (laughs) almost like if you look closely you can see the band standing behind him like mouthing all the (laughs) stick with (laughs) that because i'm like And that's the cue to do, yeah. you know, to start, you know, Daydream Believer. or whatever. A right. little tribute to Davey when Davey passed away. Right. We did Daydream Believer and Little Bit Me, Little Bit You. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we did Pleasant Valley Sunday with Mickey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm Not Your Stepping Stone, of course. I'm a Believer, Last Train to Clarksville. Uh, she, which was one of my favorite monkey songs. And I just couldn't believe it. Like, Wow. I'm playing Stepping Stone with Mickey Dolan's and that was like probably one of the very first songs I learned how to ever play.
0: Yeah. Star, you know. yeah. And it is a pretty simplistic song. It's a garage band specialty, but it's still a, a great it, song. Yeah.
2: I can remember my dad with the, you know, webcore reel to reel. We used to record the family because he sang, my mom sang and played piano and and he'd say, hey, Guff, you want to come and do your Steppin' Stone song, you know, or whatever. And I, <laughs> You know, I would do it on the reel-to-reel. I have a recording of me singing it like when I'm, you know, whatever, eight or nine years old. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting aspect. I was even talking uh, to someone tonight about that, about how, yeah, I mean, look, here's, I'm friends with this guy. I'm friends with that guy. People are wishing me happy birthday on Facebook and saying so many nice things about me and stuff. And these are people like that we used to look at in Circus Magazine. <laughs> and now it's like we've stepped into the pages of circus right. magazine and they're part of our uh, people that surround us you know yeah. or whatever you know and so it, it's an amazing it's an amazing feeling of a, of accomplishment, put mm-hmm. it that way and it's it's karma yeah <laughs> you know you know you have to have some luck in this world yeah. right um you know perseverance a lot of blood sweat and tears and all that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. perseverance and karma and all that being in the right place at the right time um sticking with it not giving up being genuinely and sincerely dedicated to it and in such a way you know i mean uh, developing your talent you know mm-hmm. And not being lazy about it. You know what I mean? We were talking about singing the other night, myself mm-hmm. and a friend of mine. And, and I was telling him, you know, we just finished a gig together. And I said, no, really, your voice is sounding much better. He, he had COVID. Mm. And uh, he said, I was feeling like I was losing some of my lung capacity and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, but I actually now feel like I'm singing better.
3: Yeah.
2: And I went, yeah, why do you think? And he goes, well, I'm actually trying harder. Right. And I'm concentrating more. And I went, and that's what a, a good singer does. Right, You know, you a good singer tries harder mm-hmm. to hit that note on pitch, mm-hmm. to do that phrasing perfectly right and whatever. That's what a good singer does. I hate lazy singers that, you know, they don't hit the note exactly on pitch. <laughs> they slur the words. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. They're yeah. singing like, You know, it's like, yeah, that's not the way the song sounds, dude. You know, whatever. But good, good effort. You know, so that's that's what it takes. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it's nice to get paid back for that somehow. Right. Uh, And just go, wow, so many people they like you, and to be a good person to work with. That's always an important thing that I tell younger guys. I mentor a couple of younger musicians and stuff. And it's always the like, what's the secret of you know right. becoming a popular, you know, famous musician or a successful musician? And I always tell them, be the guy that is not a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> because especially. <laughs> Especially if you're going to work with older artists who have been there and done that and they just want to go out there, sing their songs, get paid and get home, you know, or whatever. Uh, They don't want a big pain to do that. They want to work with the easiest guys to work with, who they get along well with, and they're going to go next time it's time to do it again. And they go, who should we get for whatever, a guitar? How about that guy? Because he was easy to work with.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, I was asking this earlier, but I'll ask it again. You know, it's like, do you mingle with any of these guys? It doesn't have to be just the oh, Turtles yeah. guys off stage and just in oh, yeah. personally and stuff. Oh, okay, so you, you have developed friendships with a lot of these
2: people. Oh, yeah. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you some funny stuff. Um, but first, I'll just finish that. Uh, last thought was besides being the guy who's easy to work with yeah. and be a good player and singer as well, that's two feathers in your cap. Then they're right. going to go. Hey, that guy's easy to work with, and he's good. Yeah. So now you got two ways to kind of please and get the gig when they're looking for somebody. So Mark Volman and I have a relationship that um, we're usually the first ones up on the tour bus in the morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or usually it's me, and then he'll come out. You know, um, I'll I'll come out. I'll make the coffee <laughs> you know? and then I'll be sitting there with drinking my coffee and he'll come out and he'll plop down next to me and he just looks over at me with that look and I go, want a cup of coffee? <laughs> and he'll go. I always love a cup of coffee. Okay. I never I ask. I make up, make up a cup of coffee. Just a little bit of, uh, you know, whatever in there, splendor, whatever, and some yeah. cream. Yeah, yeah. And I give it to him. Watch it now. And we're on the bus. You know, we're rolling down the highway. Watch it now. And he takes it. And he manages to take the first sip. And he'll just go, ah. great, great. And then, fun. like, you know. It's quiet in the morning. We're both kind of sitting there taking in the day uh, and looking out the windows and whatever and just moments of coolness hanging out. And we'll talk to each other on the phone the rest of the year. And he'll just call and go, hey, I was just thinking about you. My God, I'm thinking about what it's going to be like. Mm. having that morning coffee and you know and i'm looking <laughs> so forward to that morning coffee on the bus you know? <laughs> so certain situations that i have relationships like that That's um cool. with with entwistle he lived in this 50 room castle mm.
3: i think it in, yeah.
2: in gloucestershire in england in the cotswolds and um if you saw the movie the kids are all right mm was like a concert movie, a yep. little bit of a yep. biopic or whatever. And there's a scene where he's going down his staircase in his home and there's all these guitars, all guitars yeah. the and then he goes out back and he's shooting gold records with, you know, <laughs> first he's got like a rifle and he's going, pull! And then bam! And right, he goes, right. and finally, he opens, he opens the guitar <laughs> case and he pulls out a Tommy gun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the place i lived there for months on end cool <laughs> and we would go over there to record or we'd go over there to rehearse uh to write whatever we, we were you know i was in a band with him for almost eight years
0: mm-hmm.
2: so you know when it wasn't cool to be touring we'd go over there and we'd work on recording projects or whatever else or rehearsing new material for the next tour or whatever. And I lived in that house and there were 50 rooms, um, all these beautiful uh, bedroom suites uh, with different themes. And we all had a favorite one. You know, I liked the one that had the shower in it because the rest of them only had bath, bath mm-hmm. whatever you know, with the little nozzle things that you got to hold over your head. Um, <laughs> so, so I would get the one with the shower. Um, he would roll a TV into the room for me uh, mm-hmm. with a video recorder so that I could watch some stuff going to sleep because I needed to watch TV to go to sleep to at night or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, the, the window in my bedroom was like a huge bay window.
3: Mm-hmm
2: that looked out onto just as far as the eye can see, rolling hills of green, you know? Wow. <laughs> and I used to just wake up and go to that window and go, wow, what do I need to be a rock star for? Yeah. <laughs> I live here. I already live here, you know, whatever, you know? So that's kind of how I felt at the, at the time. Like I've been there so, so much that I got to enjoy some of that, you know, success,
3: like,
2: you know. And we got along very well, him Mm -hmm. and I. We got along very well. We made each other laugh all the time. So I was one of those guys to him that was easy to tour with, and I could sing and play all his music the way he liked He had a very
0: droll sense of humor, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you don't always get that when you watch The Who, you know. It's because he's just standing there you know kind of motionless and you know he has he doesn't sing all that much ex- in, except for maybe like the quiet one where he he, he says right. i only have two words for you you know but anyway you know but in general yeah you kind of kept in the background but when you really research the who it's like he had a really great sense of humor about things he had a very
2: good sense of humor yeah. and i used to i used to pull all kinds of pranks on him <laughs> at his home and then he would return the the favor by doing something to me in the, in the <laughs> house whatever and it was it was a pretty fun it was a pretty fun relationship you know um <clears throat> and he would come to me to talk about serious things that he was having trouble with and you know whatever his relationships or with himself or whatever so it was a good um we were we had a good rapport you know Very cool. yeah now one
0: thing i wanted to ask i'm gonna shift gears a little bit but i had a couple more questions before we wrap it up um um now during the pandemic time for the the big time you were at home as it were, you know, probably a year and a half. I mean, Ron Dante when we interviewed him, he said I still kept singing, I still kept practicing and everything like that, just to keep the vocal cords in shape and everything. Did you do the same as a guitarist or you just kinda yeah. took a took off time?
2: <laughs> yeah, well I do that anyway, as you can see. Okay? Yeah. Um, there's guitars hanging all around this oh. room. <laughs> This room. There's another. Yeah, I was going to ask you about those a minute. <laughs> and there's more over there. And there's another two or three in the living room. And there's one in the stairway. And there's one at the top of the stairway. There's two in my bedroom. There's two in the guest bedroom. So there's always guitars everywhere. And I try to keep the house either humidified to the point where they can stay healthy. You know, because guitars eat a certain amount of humidity or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, and the thing is, when you're laying there watching a movie on the couch, mm-hmm. but while you're laying there, your eyes keep wandering off to the beautiful Gibson J200 jumbo acoustic <laughs> that's next to the TV or looks over at the Gibson double neck you got on the other side of the TV. You want to get up and just pick them up and mm-hmm. sit back down and play them. Mm-hmm. So I keep a lot of my guitars out in the open. Uh, so that they can be played constantly and I have something I'm I'm attracted to the look of them you know Mm -hmm. so they kind of entice you like they're calling you in (laughs) like oh man look how cool that guitar looks I want to play it you know so I did a lot of playing I built a new system for my studio you know I have like a little recording studio here and I do most of my recording directly in, in, in other words, instead of micing amps and stuff like that, I have a few modules and things where keyboard parts and guitar parts I can record directly into my computer. So I'm just running, I'm running some new programs and things like Pro Tools, which I never used before. I used to use a different program. And so I've got to get some, some knowledge on them or whatever, because I, I have about three albums worth of material that I still want to get recorded. Uh, before I can't anymore. Right, <laughs> right. So,
0: right.
2: <clears throat> so um, yeah.
0: So my next yeah. question is, so I'm seeing the guitars there. They have like a little piece of white paper. Oh, yeah, what yeah, is, yeah, that? Yeah. is that? Is that a description of the guitar or a set list? What are those? Can you no,
2: in other words, um, the ones that have the papers on front of them yeah. Are are guitars that I built from parts. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... I mean, with Fenders, you can do that pretty easily because the necks are usually bolted on, mm-hmm. and all the parts come off. You know what I mean. You can't do it as easily with a with a Gibson Les Paul or something because it's a one piece body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, maybe you can change the pickups out and some of the electronics or whatever. But you're pretty much the body and the neck are mm-hmm. one piece. But yep. with Fenders, you can switch you can swap out the bodies and stuff. So one of the things that I admired about and Twistle was that he had a collection, maybe he had 225 guitars like that, you know. <laughs> and only his were all vintage. Yeah. And they were all, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, they used the same paint as they used in the old cars. Oh, okay. Like like the Du like DuPont and GM, all those, and they and all the colors were the same. So all the old cars, they made guitars that were those same colors. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) Burden Mist, Shoreline Gold, Inca Silver, uh, Mm -hmm. Lake Placid Blue, you know, all the old Chevys and Cadillacs and whatever were all these custom colors. And Entwistle had sets of uh, vintage, like a, precision bass, a jazz bass, a Fender mm-hmm. Telecaster, a Fender Stratocaster, a Fender, you know, all in Shoreline Gold, and then he had a set of them in Lake Placid Blue, and a set of them in Dakota Red or oh. whatever, <clears throat> and I kind of picked up that okay. thing from him, it's kind of, it's 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 kind of a Libra thing, he's a Libra, I'm a Libra, but uh, <laughs> you yeah. want, if you like something, you want it in every color, <laughs> right, right. You like what it is but now let's have the same thing but in every color that there is available so that's kind of what i do with a lot of these guitars but of course they have different pickups in them that Mm -hmm. are good for one job or another the necks have different size frets on them or the neck is width the Mm -hmm. thickness of the neck is a little different and so i go on ebay or places like that and i buy the parts Hmm. Uh, and I put together, oh, yeah, I, I really want, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, say, this guitar right here, for instance. Yeah. So this is a rosewood neck. This is an Olympic white body. And it's uh, sort of like, sort of like fashioned after like a Jeff Beck strat that he used on uh, the Wired album or whatever. <laughs> on the cover of the Wired album, he's playing this white strat with a rosewood neck. And I bought one years ago from a music store and it got stolen from me before I even got it home. You know? <laughs> and so for years I was, you know, di- you know, kind of bummed out about that. And I said, dude, just build yourself another one Buy the neck, buy yeah. the parts, buy the, and just, so I built myself a Jeff wow. you know? <laughs> cool. So for 700 bucks or whatever. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now when I, so- when I, when you're on tour, do you lug your own equipment or do you have just, handlers you send them some guitars and they take them from city to city or how does it work
2: no usually what i would do is like for a simple tour like the happy together tour which is pretty much i just need to bring two instruments
0: okay
2: so i have like a double gig bag that holds two guitars i put it on my shoulders Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't like shipping guitar putting guitars in with the cargo like with loot like luggage or suitcases or whatever like watching it wave by to it on the baggage you know thing when you're checking in because when you're not guaranteed that's going to get to the other side like you are yeah you're not guaranteed you're going to get to the other side let alone something that you're watching go off into the distance Mm -hmm. you know i've gone to gigs where my luggage didn't show up you know what i mean? But you have your guitar, take, so. I'm able to take the guitar on the plane with me. I know if I'm getting there, my guitar is getting that's cool. okay. <laughs> put, it in, put it in the overhead, put well. it in the closet or whatever. Uh, sometimes they let you do that. Of course, the equipment that we use on stage, all the amps and keyboards and drums and all that, that's all backline rental right. that we rent for the whole summer. Yeah. And it travels in a trailer on the back of one of the tour buses. Oh,
0: you know? okay. Yeah. Everybody does a little bit differently, so I was curious. Yeah,
2: I mean, (laughs) certain, if you're on a real major tour, I'm sure the guys that work with McCartney, they fly, you know, what they call a guitar coffin, which is the size of, you know, um, a dining room table uh, filled with guitars, and that just gets shipped off to wherever. You know what I mean? It goes on a truck, you know.
0: Yeah. Um... Let's see. So at this point, um, what what tours are you currently on and what are coming back if they haven't started yet again?
2: Yeah, well, you know, the yardbirds, we've we've had a little bit of a problem with the yardbirds with um, canceling dates and stuff like that, you know. uh, And we need to get back into the swing of it. And the pandemic certainly hasn't helped situations and our lead singer um john idon lives in germany mm. jim lives in france mm. um, we have a harp player who lives in jersey and our bass player lives in pennsylvania uh, and i'm here in new york uh, and our crew some of them are out in california one's up in rhode island you know so it's like getting all the getting all of it together worked out is not hard, but, you know, um, we've had to cancel a few dates and a few little mini tours and stuff like that, so we're rescheduling everything, and we're going to come back probably March by, uh, we've got a, it's called a Flower Power Cruise, mm-hmm. and it's like a 60s, you know, pop and rock cruise, and it's us in about 50 other acts or whatever that are on there for a whole week um it's going to be a lot of good acts on there and uh so we have uh we'll, we'll do two shows on that cruise during that week and then we'll probably arrange for a half dozen other shows around that when we get off the cruise or before we go on the cruise to kind of you know again make it cost effective to fly people over from europe and get a bunch of dates booked you know uh, and then i'll do some more touring with them uh, around the end of may hmm. which is going into happy together time mm-hmm. i'll probably have to go right from our last show with the yardbirds to the first show with happy together hmm. so kind of a hit the ground running okay. summer for the next year and that was a question is- i also
0: had do you ever overlap on these things or you try to schedule it this tour than this
2: tour <laughs> well there's been times when that has happened you know what i mean i had to put together a second band mm. <laughs> to do hippie fest
3: yeah,
2: because we were still doing hippie fest dates and then happy together started happening
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the next summer they were overlapping mm. so i put together a second band to play the hippie fest dates mm. uh, We had Rick Derringer, Dave Mason, Gary Wright, Felix Cavalieri. Uh, These were on Hippie Fest. And my son was on that tour. He plays bass and sings very well and plays keyboards. But he was on that tour with Mickey Dolenz's guy. Wayne Avers was the guitar player, singer on on that tour. And so we would jump off Hippie Fest, do happy together dates (laughs) and <laughs> jump off happy together and do hippie fest day it's kind of jumping back and forth you know
0: now do you still do hippie fest or is that kind of
2: no okay. you know i mean the last couple of years they did it they tried to get it happening and it just never really took off the same way you know um they named it other they tried to give it different names you know uh, <laughs> blues rock festival or whatever and it just never really took off and they had bands like Savoy Brown and Edgar Winter and stuff like that. You know, I mean they're 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 good bands and they're they're definitely a part of music history and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But they're not going to draw the same crowds, you know, like the monkeys and the turtles and right. you know Cowsills and the association and you stick that bunch of people together and you got yourself a full auditorium
0: you know right <laughs> now do you still tour with alan parsons i thought you were at least no we good. were oh. uh
2: we we had toured from probably 2003 to about 2011
0: oh so, so we were his
2: band for about eight years okay. and then of course he wanted to slow things down for himself he wanted mm-hmm. to kind of do a semi-retired thing and he pretty much told us uh, guys, I'm not going to be able to probably uh, provide you with enough work mm. after this year, so maybe, you know, you, I'm just going to give you a heads up to start looking for other things, you know. And um, that was when Happy Together kind of started, you know. And so it was like, okay, well, we got it. We got a, yeah. a whole yeah. summer of, you know. <laughs> 50 something shows that's what we would do in a year with Alan Parsons mm-hmm. so mean, it's wasn't... mainly
0: so it's mainly uh now happy together and yard yeah
2: for me anyway yeah, yeah okay. sure yeah
0: any other uh plans for any other groups or you know uh, do you know I'm more
2: I'm kind of working with some younger guys you know mm-hmm. some uh two very gifted musicians mm-hmm. uh this 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 one guy Ben uh is a really amazing guitar player uh, like Eric Johnson uh, Mm -hmm. meets Joe Bonamassa. (laughs) He's he's like amazing player. Um, And I just would love to try to help him find a vehicle for that talent because so many players get, you know, forgotten by the wayside just because they had nothing to, to, to get them somewhere. Mm -hmm. So he needs a good band to work with he needs good songs Mm -hmm. and songwriting and whatever and connections and whatever else and i'm trying to help him develop that you know and then there's another guy who is a a younger guy he's he's 30 but he plays everything he can play any song on any instrument Uh, he's very ambitious he's really smart he's really into the whole marketing end of things. Cause he worked for a company doing that for years. And now he wants to kind of give it up and go into music and see how he can do with that. So yeah. he plays a lot with me. We do like, I was doing a solo acoustic thing
3: mm-hmm. playing
2: locally and around uh, wineries and things like that. And I brought him on. Uh, so we're like a duo now. So the both of us have been doing that for a couple of years together and he's going to be here helping me with my, songwriting and my recording stuff and live streaming and things like that or whatever. So um, those are projects that I really am looking forward to. I've done, I feel like I've done not enough, but I've done a <laughs> whole lot of playing other people's music, you know? Right. Um, and I have, I, I only have one album out, uh, yeah. a CD <laughs> of my instrumental guitar stuff. And I have about three more albums worth of material that are up in the <laughs> noggin um very cool <laughs> and i have lots of demos <laughs> and whatever and just for my own head even just to get them out
0: you know right yeah just,
2: i get it <laughs> just another sense of fulfillment that's the creative uh thing is half of the fun is creating the thing and the other half of the fun is going hey listen to what i created and people go oh ah, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you know <laughs> what so yeah, that's long, that's long. the thing you know it's really cool. yeah Sure. Very good.
0: Um, I don't really have any more questions, so I always leave the little end part of the show to just kind of say, uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you, or if you have a website or a book or an album to plug, anything you'd like to say?
2: Well, you know, I mean, I have my CD that you can get, you can download it from iTunes or it's probably on Spotify, Amazon, you can get hard copies of the CD. Um, uh, which is called easy journey to other planets
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's a it's the title comes from a paperback book about eastern philosophy that i read when i was uh in high school or actually um uh right out of high school i got into eastern philosophy and um It's just an instrumental guitar album, like kind of like Jeff Beck's Blow by Blow or Mm -hmm. like that. And the styles on the album kind of change a little bit here and there, but it's really a lot of my favorite guitar players that I'm kind of emulating like a Jeff Beck kind of thing. And then a Clapton kind of thing or David Gilmore kind of thing or Robin Trower, or, you know, like all the guys that I grew up listening to and and, uh, learning how to play by listening to but it's all your own compositions right? oh it's all my own yeah. stuff you know? it's all my own instrumental mm-hmm. stuff um and but there'll be more stuff coming out soon mm-hmm. and you know i mean i have a website it's kind of ancient it, it's just Godfrey townsend.com or Townsend com. they'll both take it to the same place
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, i have a facebook page i have a facebook fan page mm-hmm. uh, and that's really all i can say um, All right.
0: Yeah. Very cool. I want to thank you, Godfrey, for joining me today. You gave me uh, some good information about the turtles and other stuff you've done over the years. Um, And I hope when you're touring around with Happy Together, or especially the yardbirds, because I haven't seen them, (laughs) I need to. And uh, hopefully you'll come around to the West Coast and I'll get to see
2: it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've done Portland. Where is that? That's
0: about... An hour drive north. Yeah, yeah. An hour or so. two. Yeah,
2: so it's not too far. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do that side of the world as well. Very cool. All right. Well, All thank right, you then. again.
0: And uh, here we are at the end of another Fun Ideas podcast. So we'll I had a good soon. time. Thank you and so much. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Godfrey Townsend, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 137 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny salazzi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.